Uh, good morning. This morning's reading is from John 1, verses 43 to 51. Jesus calls Philip and Nathanael. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. And uh, I just want to say thanks to Peter for playing. Hope, hope it's just the first time. Uh, thank you for, for joining in. Well, uh, more than officially now, summer has arrived. I didn't know that many people couldn't have anticipated that in Vancouver and North Vancouver and B.C. we would be praying for rain, but we are indeed. And this morning, many of you woke up to uh, that kind of eerie uh, sky with the, with the smoke from the forest fires. And uh, So how real this becomes. But everything changes so quickly in the summertime at church as well. Uh, Ken and I, the minister of the Anglican Church, we joke that, and it's not just uh, Sutherland and St. Timothy's, but other churches as well, we joke that, because you pick a summer theme for church or for the fall, like for summer at, at church, or you pick a theme for the fall or the winter, and, and many ministers joke that, uh, that often in churches the summer theme should just be barely church. Uh, because you, you never know what's going to happen. But uh, the opposite this morning, as we have so many uh, fantastic things happening, and we're pleased to gather together. Much of our summer here at Sutherland Church, certainly July and into August, we'll be taking up this series that you, you, you design sermon series, especially in the summer, that can kind of have standalone sermons, so you don't necessarily have to... I mean, the thing that should happen is the sermon series should build, and you should kind of... Oh, I remember last week we talked about this, and this week we're talking about this. Uh, the summer, that becomes more difficult, with people coming and going even more than, than the rest of the year. So our sermon series is going to be called Encountering Jesus, or is called Encountering Jesus. And we'll look at things like our skepticism the skepticism that can be uh, on on the part of uh, people who don't believe the Christian faith. But not only that, the skepticism for those of us who do believe the Christian faith. We'll also look at what we expect of Jesus by looking at an encounter in the Gospels. We'll look at the compassion of Jesus Christ. We'll look at his power and at his spirit, the Holy Spirit. But today we look at the story, a famous story and a great little story of Nathaniel in John chapter 21, or sorry, in John chapter 1. 
The story takes place right after the prologue. The prologue of the book of John is basically runs from verses 1 to 18. And these are some of the most famous words uh, written in any language. And they aren't written in, in English. They're translated into English. But uh, they, they translate well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Isn't that nice language there? Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. Nice emphasis in the language. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humanity. These are bold claims. These are faith claims. And you'll know the distinctive right now. If you believe these things, they will for you be kind of, there'll be a communion in this with the Holy Spirit and with others in this faith. In him was life. And that life was the light of all humanity. If you don't believe these things, and, and we love you and you're part of us if you don't believe these things, but you'll know that distinction right now because you don't feel what many of us feel. In him was life. But th- that's why these are eloquent words. They'll, they'll, they'll help kind of discern where you're at in terms of whether you believe them or not. And the Word became flesh. This is toward the end of the prologue. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that a beautiful introduction? And now you're going to have a gospel written by John of Jesus Christ. Here's what happened in this life and ministry of Jesus. It's so much more than there was this individual, there was this guy named Jesus. And for us, it should be so much more than that, particularly those of us who share this faith. There should be in this gospel and in all of the gospels and in our prayer an encountering of Jesus Christ, not simply seeing Jesus, but that we would see that Jesus is the light of all humanity and we live in the presence and the love of Jesus Christ. And that, in some ways, is the goal of this series. We start with this prologue, and today I really want to emphasize, I hope you don't get sick of them in this sermon, uh, but I want to emphasize two words for your memory and your understanding. Uh, Not not English words particularly, but uh, the word that's translated here as word, in the beginning was the word. The first word that we'll look at is the word logos, which means word. In the beginning was the word. More than letters, more than an utterance, simply or not simply, but grandly means this. Before all things, there was word. That's what this means. Logos. Presence and creativity. Before all things, the word was preexistent. That is the Christian claim. And of course, physics and and other explanations of, of the reality of this world will understand those things Differently, or there'll be nuances there. The Christian claim is, before all things existed the Word. And at the end of the prologue, you're going to get an identification of who that Word is. Not simply what that Word is, but who that Word is. Before all things was the creative Word, and the creative Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ. That's the Christian claim. It's not here to explain how the world was created or how many days it took or what the span of history is. The claim here is simply, before all things was the preexistent word. Colossians 1 is very good on this. Jesus Christ is 
pre-existent. And in him all things hold together. He's the firstborn over all creation. That's the word logos. The secular problem, and I don't mean secular as bad. Sometimes you, you think of that you know, in, in certain religious circles. Secular can be used as, well, that's so secular. Uh, but understanding your existence apart from, from considering God... The secular problem is, is the idea that you are to make and build your life. So you see three young men up here, and they've graduated from high school, and now they have to figure their lives out. Well, not quite yet, because we live in, like, Western Canada, and adolescence goes on for, well, for a long time. One of them is my son. One of those boys is my son, the tall one. That's, he has the same body as I do. And he, and, and he now has to figure things out for himself, right? Well, not really. Not yet. The secular problem, though, is that at some point you have to make your life. That's the understanding. Your identity, who you will be, how you will be known, what you stand for, your values, all of this. The idea here is, and it's not often spoken of this way, but that you create the meaning in your world. You decide, you determine. It is something like a blank slate, and you live your life and make your reality. I call it a secular problem because when you understand the reality of what it means to live your life, that's not actually how things work out. And if you think of it that way, that you have to make it yourself, all kinds of problems come into the scene. Mental health problems, everything else, come from the pressure that comes with you have to create or project your own meaning. The Christian problem, and I use the word problem here on purpose as well, is that this, I'm, I'm, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, but it's often the way that it is. We treat Jesus or can treat Jesus as if he is a means to an end. And you'll pick this up in churches all the time. So Jesus is, a, is the means to an end. Jesus gets you to whatever it is, right? Even good things. Jesus gets you to salvation. Jesus gets you to wholeness. Jesus gets you to fullness. Jesus gets you to righteousness. Those are all good things, and, and they should be, uh, we should long after these things. But Jesus should never be understood or treated as a means to an end. Jesus is the end in and of himself. That's what this means. The word was preexistent, and in him all things hold together. So if you are after fullness, righteousness, or wholeness, which we are to hunger for righteousness, right? Even Jesus says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But Jesus himself is not to be treated, when properly understood, as a means to an end. He is the end. That's the second word. The second word is telos. So you have logos and telos. Logos is creation and being and presence. The idea is, and this is all, I mean, you think about people who want to count how many days and how many years and, and how old is the earth and all of this kind of thing. That is not the primary consideration of scripture in terms of creation but this is this is one of the key things that word means creation god speaks into existence that's primary so the word is creative that's logos being and presence but telos is that that the word is the goal and the meaning and the end and the completion so this is the christian statement this is all from the prologue Meaning is found not... Now, this is primary. I'm not saying that if you accomplish something, that's not a good thing and you shouldn't celebrate it. It is a good thing and you should celebrate it. But meaning, eternal and lasting meaning, is not found in an accomplishment or in a possession 
or in a position of status or recognition in this world. Consider, even from a secular viewpoint, what happens if you seek to find meaning in those things. They become fleeting. I was watching the Tour de France early this morning, because it takes place, obviously, in Europe, and so it's on early in the morning. I'm watching it, and they have a new commentator, and he's a, uh, I think he's German. But anyway, his, his accent was very German. And I, I thought as I was listening to him, and he was, he's a, apparently a really nice guy and a great cyclist and all the rest, but he, he was in the tour for 17 years. Now he's a commentator. In other words, if his identity was found in this one thing, even as he celebrated, even as he's held high, and he, he, he wasn't doping or anything like that, not that kind of story, not a Lance Armstrong story. But even now, even as things have worked out properly, well, now he's a commentator. If you seek to find ultimate meaning in these temporary things, every one of you, whether it's your vocation, I was with a a guy yesterday, I went golfing early yesterday morning with a guy who's recently retired. I didn't know him, I just met him yesterday. And those questions come up right away. If, if If my meaning was found in my vocation, what now? Scripture, Christian scripture, will teach us and tell us meaning is in the telos. The end, the goal, the fulfillment, the completion is in Jesus Christ, the living word. And all other meaning, which can be celebrated, but is properly celebrated and understood, and this would come in in faith. It would be hard to, to do this without this faith. But all other meaning becomes a reflection of the love and presence of Jesus Christ. So I can say, thank you, Lord, for my vocation. Thank you for my family. Thank you for this accomplishment. But the meaning is found not ultimately in the family or the vocation or the accomplishment, but in Jesus Christ, the living word. It doesn't mean that those things are diminished. In fact, it means that they're held in higher regard. So you have now logos and telos, and it becomes earthy in this scene that I want you to look at briefly. John chapter 1, 43 to 51. It's like you take these big concepts, logos and telos, in the prologue, and then one of the first stories in the Gospel of John is, now look at how it gets kind of gritty and earthy in this interaction between the word, right, meaning, creation, telos, the end of all things, Jesus' actual encounter with an actual person, this um, skeptical Nathaniel. Jesus had called the first disciples earlier in the book, right before this. And among those first disciples was Philip. Philip finds Nathanael and says to Nathanael, we have found the one that Moses was speaking about. In other words, Nathanael had been someone who had been looking for the Messiah. Philip comes and says, we found him. I think Nathanael never really expected to find him. Or if he did find the Messiah, it would be obvious to all that that this person would be the Messiah. Certainly no one from Nazareth would fit that. We found him. He's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's response is so perfect and so Twitter perfect. And so 2015, it's simply, you could put a hashtag on it, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Not just, I don't believe you found him, but give your head a shake. And Philip's response is great as well. He says, well, why don't you come and see? Which is a nice evangelical invitation. He doesn't fight with him. Why don't you come and see? Because Nathaniel has said, look, I know Nazareth, and nothing good comes from Nazareth, and certainly not the Messiah. 
Philip says, why don't you come and meet him? And Nathanael does. And when he does, Jesus speaks to Nathanael before Nathanael even speaks to Jesus. Even while Nathanael is some ways off, Jesus says, uh, behold, it's a translated word, obviously they all are. Um, I, it's hard to know whether there is friendly sarcasm in this or, or something, but Jesus basically, as Nathanael comes towards him, says, oh, look. So, oh, look can simply mean, oh, look, right? Or if somebody like me is saying it, it usually has a tinge of sarcasm. Oh, isn't this great? Here comes Nathanael, right? It does, it's not a disdain of any kind, but there's something there. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no conceit or no duplicitousness is the idea. Jesus seems up for this encounter with Nathanael. And Nathanael's not put off by Jesus. He doesn't get into an argument with him. So he doesn't pick up from Jesus' words kind of a distancing at all. The opposite. Nathanael says, when Jesus greets him in this way, Nathanael says, how do you know me? Which if you've ever met somebody new and they, or you met them before, but they actually remember you because you don't remember anybody, neither do I. Right? I mean, how, this happened to me yesterday. I, th- I think I've met you before. Isn't that a terrible thing that you do to people? Um, yeah, remember, yeah, I went to your church for five years or something like that. But, but any time that somebody speaks to you as if they know you and actually with some kind of care, oh, Nathaniel, well, here comes an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. There's no duplicitousness. And, and Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus gives this nice little answer. Yeah, before I, well, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel is, at these words, somehow completely changed. His defenses are down. And he says, and all of these words are a declaration of the identity of Jesus Christ. First, rabbi, which is an, a term, an office, a, a term of position. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. He has moved from saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth, to Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel, very quickly. Uh, it, it, it is possible that this brings some doubt into your mind as to the character or strength of Nathaniel, but at least he's, been, he's, he's completely changed his view in encountering Jesus Christ. Now, I have nothing to say there other than there is about Jesus Christ always... Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the living Word. So there is, there is much of the Holy Spirit in this encounter that I couldn't describe with words. But in encountering Jesus Christ, Nathaniel completely switches from his doubt and his kind of uh, sarcastic disdain for this place to, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus rightfully says to him, Really? Just because I said I saw you under the fig tree, all of a sudden I'm the Messiah? And Jesus ends with, I mean, it's, it's a little bit crass to say it this way, but Jesus ends with, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see angels ascending and descending. Picks up an Old Testament image of Jacob. Remember, we talked about that a number of weeks ago. On the, on the Son of Man, the Son of God. So what would I like you to know from this text? First, we are, the minister always says this, right? We are each a bit like Nathaniel, like Nathan. Many of us are. We like to think that other people are snobs. But, and I'll say this repeatedly, I said this I think just a couple of weeks ago, 
The, the good definition of snob is anyone who takes a small part of you and uses that to come to a complete vision of who you are. So you can imagine other people doing this to you, but I guarantee you, because you are human, you do this to other people. The rich can look down on the poor and say, well, I know what they're like. But the poor can look down on the rich and say, well, because they're rich, they are this, and take a small piece of a person and come to a complete picture. You're poor, you're rich, or you like soccer, or you don't like soccer, or you go to church, or you don't go to church, or you come from Nazareth. That's Nathaniel's snobbery. Nathaniel, we know because he had been looking for the Messiah, or at least considering the identity of who the Messiah would be. Nathaniel is one who asked the big questions in life. But his snobbery leads him to write off Jesus Christ before he has even met him. Now, I don't have to say the evangelical line here, do I? How many people write off Jesus Christ before they even meet or consider him? For whatever reason, he's from Nazareth, or that church is full of hypocrites, or that church is judgmental. So why would that have anything to do with God, if there is a God? We can ask the big questions in life, but not for a moment consider that Jesus Christ would have anything to do with the big questions. That's obviously much of the state of the world. It's a dismissive eye roll. It's, ah, religion. Oh, Jesus. And I'm um, sympathetic to it because sometimes we haven't been the greatest, the, the, the old word that you use a lot in generation ago or two generations ago was the word witness, right? And often the church of Christ is, is not always the greatest witness. And sometimes that dismissive eye roll that people can give, we can be part of why that happens. I was reading, in, in preparing for the sermon, I was reading a note on that eye roll that you can do. Um, I think I've actually used this in wedding homilies before because many marriage counselors say, and I don't want to set anybody up here for difficulty um, or, like, or make you feel that something's worse than it actually is, but wedding uh, or wedding, marriage counselors can look for those eye rolls. Many say relationship can handle a lot of things, but not dismissiveness. Not a kind of derisiveness. And if you look and one person is constantly rolling their eyes at the other, and for those of you who are caught in that, like you're the eye roller, that's, that's a place you need to pray to get out of. And Nathaniel is at least that to, to, to the idea that the Messiah could come from Nazareth. Ugh. Relationships can handle quite a bit, but not that. And like Nathan, this is how many people think today. Is Jesus irrelevant? But even Christians, we can do this. When we think about how to order our lives or how to... Um, uh, think of our own security, our own uh, sense of the future, whatever age we're at. You know, we think trying to establish our, our life. Even Christians often don't think of Jesus Christ as having anything to do with that at all. It's work, it's money, it's security, vocation, relationship, finding a person, whatever it might be. But my relationship with Jesus Christ does not often for people, many people enter into that. How to ensure a meaningful, a good, or a successful, or a secure life. 
So I want to add these words to the words logos and telos to fill them out. The first is sufficient. Sufficient is a, is a difficult word in the English language because it's, it, it makes, it, it already feels too small. Because we live in a marketing culture where everything is sold to you as the best thing in the history of the world. Like drink this beer and you will be the happiest person and have the coolest people around you. Or drive this car because one thing we know about cars, they are very, very meaningful. They're, they're not. They're not at all, except that we project that meaning into them, right? There's that great campaign going on right now. I've got the picture. Oh, I've already talked about that before. So anyway, the guy with the truck and the guy with the, But that's just, it's just a car. It doesn't mean anything. And, the, and nobody would advertise a product saying it's sufficient, right? That's why sufficient has, become to, has come to be known as kind of a negative word, but sufficient, properly understood, particularly in terms of its scriptural use and translation, is very meaningful. Saying, your grace is sufficient for me, isn't saying, well, it's barely enough. It's saying, it is all that I need. Sufficient unto all things. The living word is sufficient. I saw a guy the other day with a t-shirt on. It was a, um, an ultimate tournament for Aiden. Uh, and this was an adult tournament, and one of the, I guess there was a team, and half the things in that sport are kind of jokes. Or, and the team name was Team Adequate. It just in big letters said Team Adequate, and underneath it said, Accept Nothing Less. I thought, well, it's honest anyway. <laughs> That's not what, what Scripture talks about when it says that God's grace is sufficient for us, or that in Christ is all sufficiency. Jesus Christ is not only enough. The meaning that I know in Jesus Christ, my Lord, is sufficient unto all things. Now this is known in faith. Meaning, purpose, peace, love. He is sufficient. Secondly, he is considerate. This is in the Nathan, the Nathaniel example. Nathaniel had come ready to write him off, but Jesus' consideration of Nathaniel. How do you know me? Do you mean, and this is beautiful to consider this, do you mean before I, I was coming here to consider what to make of you? But as Nathaniel approaches Jesus and he understands that Jesus has already considered him, everything changes. Do you know what it's like to try, many of you do, to try to go to a church where you're not known or any group of people and feel like you are not considered? You are in some ways, in any, any group, go to a, a sports team or or um, some kind of educational gathering or vocational gathering. And if you, are made to, if, if you are made or you bring in the feeling that you're an outsider, that you're not considered, it completely colors the way you experience that, that scene, that room. But as you're approaching that place, if somebody addresses you, and it's better if they don't have a name tag so that they, you know, if it's their job, if it's marketing, you tend to see through it. But if it's like Nathaniel where he says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, oh, I considered you before you knew it. There is this 
this twofold consideration going on. Jesus' consideration of Nathaniel and now Nathaniel's consideration of Jesus completely changes. Jesus sees Nathaniel and he is strong, but he's also gentle. And you need to know this and hear this. And if the church fails in this regard or some other Christian in your life or whatever, it, the, the truth of the matter is that Jesus sees you. This is in my Christian faith and the faith of many here. Jesus sees you and knows you, not simply knows your interests and your likes. He's not here to suggest the next book you might like or song. He's here to say, oh, Lawrence, or any name here, I knew you before you knew that I did. This is the encountering that comes. Finally, when we truly encounter Jesus, we will see more. And I I put that word there simply more on purpose. We will always see more than we could have imagined. And this is how Jesus ends this encounter. Oh, Nathaniel, you're all impressed because I said I saw you under the tree. You haven't seen anything yet. You will see angels ascending and descending. Very heavens opening. One of the problems of Christian faith, improperly understood, is that we can act as if we have Jesus Christ figured out. That we have a static view of Jesus Christ. And so we, even in the way we teach, in the way that we share this faith, we kind of look at it like a closed box or package. Here's what to think, here's what to do. The truth of this, and Jesus invites Nathaniel into this life, is that it is dynamic, alive, and always more than you would think. More should always be a word of your Christian faith. Not a word of dissatisfaction and discontent and shaking your head at other people. And if, if my use of the word more makes you go, yeah, other people need to hear that, then of course you've missed the, the point. But the word more should always be part of the Christian faith and your personal Christian faith. Lord God, I know that you have more for me as Jesus invites Nathaniel in the end telos the goal the meaning the sufficiency the goal in life is not found in philosophy or intellect or a certain view of the world or accomplishment or the establishment of an empire this is the Christian claim and it's hard for us to understand this and when I'm when I say this as I close I know that you'll I mean, you'll wrestle with this because our world isn't set up this way. The goal in life is not found in an accomplishment or a view of the world or the building of an empire, however large or small. The goal in life taught from Christian scripture, the goal in life is found in a person. In the ongoing encounter with a person, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of this for Nathaniel and for us, is that there are no prerequisites. Even your skepticism and your sarcasm can be dropped. There are no prerequisites, and it is not earned. Today, Lord Jesus, help me to know that all meaning and purpose and life and fullness is found in you, the living word. Dear Jesus Christ, may I know your presence today. May I respond to your presence in my life and in the world And may I see your love in others. Or as Philippians uh, 121 says, 
Paul says, for me to live is Christ. He understood what we're speaking about today. So we'll share the communion now, the body of Christ broken for you. This is a reminder that Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of our sins. Not that we aren't sinners, but that we stand before God in faith in Jesus Christ as forgiven. The body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ poured out for us that we could live in this relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As always, we say you're welcome to receive the communion if you know Jesus Christ or if you would like to. This is a table not of exclusion, but of inclusion. Let me pray for the communion, and I'll ask the ushers to come forward and pass it out. You can take it as you receive it. We pray a blessing on this bread and on this cup. This simple feast, these elements, these symbols, this Eucharist, uh, all these different descriptions through Christian history of what this is, but it is at least this, the reminder of who we are. That our identity and our life is found not in temporary things, but in, in the eternal living word, you, Lord Jesus Christ. We take this bread and we take this cup in your name, remembering your sacrifice for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.